Good morning, everybody. We're returning back to our series on Colossians today, and we'll be looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 to 11. So would you join with me as we read through those verses now? Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 to 11. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Let's pray. God, we come before you and ask that you would give us wisdom to understand your words today. Would you make clear your message and your love for us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the classic novel, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Dr. Jekyll creates a serum which allows himself to turn into Mr. Hyde and indulge his base desires without any consequences coming back onto himself. In essence, he creates a way for him to live two lives. One, the law-abiding, upright citizen of Dr. Jekyll, and two, the shockingly evil Mr. Hyde. But as the story continues, Dr. Jekyll finds that he cannot go on living two lives. Mr. Hyde takes over more and more, essentially taking over Dr. Jekyll's life when he wasn't even expecting it. And the story leads to destruction and death as Dr. Jekyll comes to the realization that he cannot live two separate lives, but one will always take over. And as people here today reading God's word, we need to understand that we are more like Dr. Jekyll than we might care to admit. If I were to ask you how many different versions of you are there, what would you say? Is there the at-work you and the at-home you, the at-school you, the at-sports you, maybe the church you or the at-home group you? How many different versions of you exist? When I was saved in high school and God grabbed a hold of my life, uh, I was saved at a summer camp that many of you know that story, and I was given the camp name Chunk. But that name became so much more than a camp name, it really stuck with me. All of my friends at youth group called me Chunk. All of the parents at church called me Chunk. The pastor in front of hundreds of people on a Sunday morning from the front called me Chunk. I became Chunk at church. At home, I was still Derek. At school, I was still Derek. On my sports teams, I was still Derek. And I was very content keeping those two personas separate. I never did anything crazy, but I didn't want my worlds to collide together. I was very happy being Chunk at church and Derek at home and not really talking about the two or having the two people in those different lives meet. But it got exhausting. I realized as I got older, it couldn't continue. I couldn't be Chunk at church forever. I couldn't be Derek at home forever. Essentially, I came to the point where I realized one of these lives had to win out. 
And so my question is, how many different versions of you are there? And aren't you getting tired keeping these different versions of you separate? Aren't you looking for more? Or maybe you're like Dr. Jekyll in this way, and you've been following the rules for as long as you can remember, but you're stuck in an unsatisfying, unfulfilling life looking for more. Wondering where that fulfillment and that meaning and that enjoyment is going to come from. And so if that's you today, if you're just overwhelmed by keeping track of, of the way that you live in all of these different areas of your life, or you're looking for, for fulfillment and meaning in your life, we need to take the words that God gives to Paul as he writes to this church of converted pagans in Colossae seriously. We need to see how we begin to live the life that God has given us. And I want to be clear, what we're doing today is not giving instructions on how to live a better life. But if you remember back when, when Pastor Marcio preached a few weeks back on the beginning of this chapter, he talked about how we've been raised with Christ, that Christ has given us new life through the cross, that it's all through the work that Christ has done that this life is available to us. But what we're going to look at today in these verses is how do we live in the reality of the new life that Christ has given us starting now? How can we find this life that God has given us that's full of promise, of life, of satisfaction, and fulfillment? And what we see as we look at this text is the first thing that we need to do is to put to death our old self. We need to put to death our old self. Would you look at verse 5 with me for a moment here? Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So here, Paul gives the Colossians a list of five different sins that he wants them to be aware of. A list of, of five vices. And what God is doing here through Paul is warning the people of Colossae about their past warning that they have to give up their past and move forward if they want to continue in relationship with God and to experience the life that he has for them. This list of five sins can really be summed up by saying God is warning the people of the sexual corruption in their nature of their society. You see, as I mentioned above, these people were converted from a pagan lifestyle. And for them, sex was part of their society. They were partaking in, in sexual activities that were outside of what God instructs in the Bible. They didn't view sex as something that God had given his people to, to join two people together physically, to, to show his love for his people. They believed that sex was just fulfilling desires that they had. They were living in sexual immorality, impurity, lust, with, with evil sexual desires and, and greed. And so Paul is warning these people that they have to put behind the corrupt sexual nature of their past. But it's more than that. For these people at this church, their past life was defined by sexuality. It was a part of how they worshipped in temples with prostitutes. Sex was a part of their religion. It was a part of their identity. It was what marked their society. It wasn't just an action. It was part of who they were as people and they're still living in that society, and that society is calling these people who've been converted and started following Christ back into their old desires, and Paul is warning them, saying, you need to put to death your old self. 
so that you can start to live in the life that God has given you. We see his warnings continue as we turn, turn to verses 8 and 9. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. If the first list of sins is about the corrupted sexual nature of the Colossians, this list, we can say, is about anger and, and malicious talk. And here, through Paul, God is warning the people that they have become self-focused and self-righteous. People are getting angry when they don't get their way. They're, they're willing to put people down to bring themselves up. They're willing to lie to one another in order to get their way. All they're focused on is themselves and what they want, and they're willing to slander, be mad, and lie to get what they think they need. And all of this, this angry talk and these angry actions towards one another is leading to a splintered society. And so God is warning his people that they need to stop focusing on themselves as individuals as their community fractures around them. They need to give up this angry talk, this malicious talk, and they need to embrace the gospel. They can't lie to one another because the gospel is truth and there is no room for lies in the truth. Paul is warning his people that they need to come together and start viewing others and God as more important themselves. At the heart of what Paul is warning them is that the anger and lying will lead to a broken society. God is letting the people know that all of this anger is sprouting out of their self-centered nature. And often when we look at the Bible, we might struggle to see how we can connect to societies that lived so long ago, but not in this case. We shouldn't struggle to see how God's words to a society that is defined by hypersexuality a society that is, is defined by fulfill your sexual desires, whatever they are, and put yourself ahead at whatever cost there is. We shouldn't struggle to see how God's words to those people speak to us today. We should understand exactly what it's like to try to follow God in a society that is defined by corrupt sexuality and individualism. But we might be wondering, why is God's language here so extreme? Why does he say that we need to, to put to death our old self, to rid ourselves completely of our old desires? And the answer for that, we can see in verse 6. Did you catch it? Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Because of our sin, because of the way we used to live, the wrath of God is coming. Now, we shouldn't be uh, mistaken here and assume that if we can just change our lives, then the wrath of God is going to stop coming. No, what God is saying through Paul is because of sin, the wrath of God is coming, and there's nothing that's going to stop it. And so we need to be sure that we remove ourselves from the sin in our lives. But why is God so serious when it comes to sin? And I think it's because of the effect that sin has on the people that he's created and he loves. Sin brings us sickness and destruction. It brings us loneliness and, and sadness. Sin fractures communities and pegs people against one another. Sin brings death. It brings despair. 
Sin ultimately separates us from God, the one who created us and loves us, and God wants nothing to do with it. So because of sin, his wrath is coming. And if that's how seriously God takes sin, then that's how seriously we have to take sin if we want to live the life that he's given us. But what does this look like in our lives? I think the best example for how to treat sin when it comes to our personal lives comes from Alberta. Did you know that Alberta is the only part of the world with a significant urban and rural population that is considered to be rat-free? There are no brown rats or Norway rats in Alberta. This is what the National Post wrote a couple of years ago. For nearly 70 years, Alberta has successfully kept rats from taking hold of an area larger than France, and it has done so by waging a vigilant and all-out war on the rodent. Alberta is rat-free because of the extreme measures that they went to to make sure that they were rat-free. Just listen to this. They created government pamphlets, pamphlets and handed them out to the people to warn them of rats. They created propaganda posters that hopefully you can see as you're watching this online. They created a rat control force that, that is armed and patrols the border between Alberta and Saskatchewan. They trained civilians in rat recognition and extermination. They made it an illegal offense to see a rat and do nothing about it. They even have a hotline where if you see a rat, you call 310 rats and you report it to the government and they will come and take care of it. Yes, rats occasionally pop up in Alberta, but they are always eliminated before they can breed and infest the province. It's extreme, it's intense, and it's worked for over 50 years now. And if we want to put to death our old selves, if we want to rid ourselves of our past lives and live the life that God has for us, then we need to take sin at least as seriously as Alberta takes rats. We need to take sin at least as seriously as Alberta takes rats. And that might sound funny, but when sin creeps into our lives, we need to eliminate it. We need to have people in our lives who are going to support us as we journey through our lives seeking to rid ourselves of our old temptations, our old desires, our old impulses. We need to stamp out sin as it creeps into our lives. If we want to live the full life that God promises us, we need to put to death our old selves. But the passage goes on. As we put to death our old self, we need to put on our new self. Read with me again verses 9 and 10. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And so as we've removed our old selves, we need to put on the new self that Christ has made available to us through the cross. Whenever I, I think through this specific set in this verse, these two uh, verses in this passage, I'm reminded of, of the great movie Mighty Ducks from the early 90s. And in that movie, there's this moment where, where Adam Banks, the best player in the league, is removed from the evil team, the Hawks, and brought over to the Ducks. And visually, we have this image of a, of a guy removing his old jersey and putting on a new one. And that's so crucial for us to understand. If he had just taken off his old jersey, he wouldn't be able to play anymore, but he had to put on the Ducks jersey to keep going. 
And that jersey wasn't just a jersey. It was a symbol of the new person that he was to become. No longer was he to play uh, in the old win-at-any-cost style of the Hawks. He wasn't going to play dirty anymore. He was now on the Ducks where you play for the joy of the game, where you love your teammates. He had to choose to play against his old team. And just like he put on his new jersey to become a Duck, we too must put on our new self. But how do we do that? The verse is very clear, that we are to be renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. We need to be renewed by the knowledge of our creator. We need to spend time every day seeking to grow in knowledge of who God is. We need to be praying. We need to be reading the Bible to see how God has revealed himself. We need to be worshiping him every day. We need to be growing in knowledge of who God is. And when we understand who he, who he is, the Spirit will be at work in our lives to renew us. We need to remember that God is the one who created us, that God is the one who sustains us, that God is the one who sent his Son to forgive us and bring us back into relationship with him. And as we understand how glorious God is and how great his love is for us, our lives will be molded by the Spirit as we become more like him. When's the last time you've sat and really contemplated how great God is before you've made a decision? When's the last time when you woke up in the morning and you got ready for your day, you started off by remembering the love that God has for you as, as seen on the cross through Christ? To find the life that God promises us, we need to begin to allow God to change our lives by focusing on him and growing in the knowledge of his glory and his love and allowing that to be the motivation of how we live our lives. And as we begin to put on our new self, we will find that meaning and that fulfillment that we have. We need to allow the love of Christ and as displayed on the cross to give us the meaning and the value that we're looking for. We need to take seriously our, our call to share that love with the people around us, to go to our workplaces and our homes and our friend groups to tell people about God's love for us, that Jesus died to give them new life. And as we start to be put on our new self, we'll find that satisfaction, that purpose that we've been creating, created to have. And so if you're here today and you're looking for that life, that fulfillment that God promises us, we need to first put to death our old self and then put in our new self, which is renewed only in the knowledge of the greatness of God and his love for us. And the last thing that we're going to see today is that we need to trust Christ with ourselves. You might be sitting here thinking, this sounds amazing, but how do I know that this is actually going to make any difference in my life? How do I know this is going to satisfy me to the point where I don't need to be longing for another life, where I don't need to be living in different ways and different places to get the most satisfaction I can? How do I know this is actually what I'm looking for? We need to trust Christ with ourselves. Read with me the final verse for today, verse 11. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. The first thing I want to focus on here is just that phrase, Christ is all. We need to know that Christ is all. He's all we need, that he is sufficient for everything we're hoping for, 
everything we're craving for, everything we're looking for, that Christ died on the cross to take our old life from us. When we put to death our old life, we can only do that because Christ took it on the cross and put it to death for us. We need to know that we don't need to search for ways to make God happy. We don't need to search for ways to restore our relationship with God. But God came to us. That Christ went to the cross out of love for us. That he is the sacrifice that makes us right in the eyes of God. When we look at the cross, we need to know that Christ take our, took our death on the cross and gave us his life. We need to know that Christ defeated sin. He defeated death. He defeated chaos. He defeated sickness. He defeated pain. That Christ is all we need. That's how we know that this is works. That's how we know that we can put to death our old self and put on our new self because Christ went to the cross to allow us to do that. And we need to know that his love is the only thing that will ever make us fulfilled. That we were created to be in relationship with God and the only way to be in relationship with God is by trusting in the cross, trusting in the death and resurrection of Christ. To enter into relationship with God and to know his greatness and his love. That is all we need and it's only available through the cross. Christ is all. But the verse ends by saying this, Christ is in all. We might wonder who is, is good enough to receive this gift from God. Who is worthy of this love that Christ has shown us? And God writes through Paul here that when it comes to the love and life that God offers us, there is no Gentile or Jew. It doesn't matter if you've grown up in a family that knows nothing about God or if you've grown up in a family that's one of the chosen people of God. There's not circumcised or uncircumcised. It doesn't matter if you spent your whole life following God, trying to follow every single rule, or if you've never even known what the rules were. There's, there's no barbarian. That, that one is, is an interesting one. Barbarian was what the Romans called a certain group of people who they believed to be uncultured. The, the name barbarian was actually meant to be an insult. They believed that the people who couldn't speak their language, they just sounded like they were saying bar, 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 over and over and over again. And so the Romans mocked them and called them barbarians. It's the same way that many people in my life call me Dewick because I grew up with a speech impediment and I couldn't pronounce my R's. The people mock them by calling them barbarians. And what Paul is saying here, or what God is saying here through Paul, is it doesn't matter if you're uncultured or not considered worthy. In fact, it doesn't even matter if you're Scythian, which is considered worse than barbarian, the lowest of the lows, the, the downcast of society. It doesn't matter if you're slave or free. It doesn't matter if you're the richest person in the country or if you're working to pay off a debt you're never going to pay off. Christ is all and is in all. Christ died to save every single one of us. Christ has given every single one of us new life, and we are all, no matter who we are, in need of the life that Christ has given us. And so today, as we close, if you're looking for the life that is full and that satisfies, the life that God has promised us, then we must put to death our old self, put on our new self, 
and trust Christ with all of ourselves and be rooted in the knowledge of the glory of God and his love for us. That is how we find the life that we are looking for and the only way that we can live it starting now. Let's pray. God, I pray for each of us here today that you would remind us of who you are and your love for us, God. That you'd open our eyes to the work of the Spirit in our lives as, as he convicts us and reminds us of the glory of God and the love that has been shown to us. We thank you that although we deserve death, you've given us life. And I pray that each of us here would move towards that life today. Would you save us and sanctify us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.